Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to I'm Listening, the Frasier Fan Podcast. I am your host, Anita Flores, and each episode, uh, I have a special guest. Um, I discovered this particular gentleman on Twitter, as he has a sizable following, and his name is Anthony Oliveira. Anthony Oliveira, according to Twitter, is a writer, turbo gay, dumpster, raccoon. Um, and his handle is Mia Koopa. Am I pronouncing that right? You Well, insofar as it is a sure. word. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> it's welcome, like a, Anthony. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's a terrible Latin pun, and I apologize for it. <laughs> if I had known the account would grow as big as it did, I would have thought more carefully about my Twitter handle. <laughs> What would you, um, where did this, I, obviously writer makes sense, but I've never heard turbo gay or dumpster raccoon. Are those just phrases you lovingly made up or they um, exist somewhere else? I don't know where they came from, but they feel right to me. I'm sort of negotiating my latent furriness right now on Twitter. <laughs> um, so <laughs> maybe identify with raccoon. The dumpster raccoon thing is because I feel like that's what I do. I sort of just like rummage through the dumpster of pop culture and find things that I like and mm -hmm. sort of like that's my modus operandi. I'm not very good about, I mean, I'm in academia, but I'm not good at like dividing high class from high culture from low culture. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what the raccoon thing about. I think the turbo thing is probably, I mean, it's probably just a function of being a 90s kid. Like everything was turbo when I was a kid. Nothing's okay. turbo anymore. We don't talk about turbo or cyber. Those sort of like prefixes have disappeared. So maybe I'm a cyber turbo gay. <laughs> oh, a cyber gay. I mean, I, every time I hear the word cyber, I just remember that, you know, I was fully into the AOL teen chat rooms as a teen. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I definitely had to learn the lingo because I didn't know what cybering was. I also didn't know what ASL was for a while. So when somebody would say ASL, question mark, I'd go, yes, <laughs> that's me. ASL. Yeah, I, I think we came of age at the same time, sort of like in the Habbo Hotel era. Do you remember Habbo Hotel? No. no the little, oh, it was just like, um, it was like a chat room, but you had like a little digital avatar. It's like perfect for mm. teens because they could like design themselves. Um, but yeah, I came from the same moment. I was like, the word cyber for me invokes like the cyber demons from Doom. I played a lot of Doom as a kid. Like okay. you can tell I'm a 90s kid. One of the ways you can tell I'm a 90s kid is I'm on a Frasier podcast right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes. I would literally finish watching Frasier and then go downstairs to the computer and hit the dial up and play Doom with my friends. It seems <laughs> so. like in a sense you and I had a, like, I don't know if you played sports. I didn't do any activities no, at all. No, ma'am. I, no. I honestly was just watching a lot of TV. TV and eating like you know yeah, I and yeah. I, I never played video games but I very much enjoyed doing like four horror movies in a row with like one of like one of two only friends that I had yes. which I'm yep. not complaining about just to survive uh that time period of middle school and high school I feel like if you have one friend 
that's enough in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, I definitely did. I'm like, look at us now. My, exactly. my friends in that era wrote the theme song for my podcast. So like, these, these things perpetuate themselves. I love it. Now, an academic, I'm off. I've never been brave enough to ask, what is an academic? Is it a teacher? Is it a person in graduate school? What's a what's an academic? I'm a comedian, <laughs> well, so I don't know much. Bio because um, you like you're you're a bunch of different things for a while. I'm actually done my dissertation. I've defended, so I'm a doctor now. <gasps> um, yes, Doctor Anthony Oliver. Uh, what? But no, there's no like appeal. It's funny, like one of the autocompletes if you try to google my name is anthony Oliveira phd and it's because so many people get mad at me online that they want to know what my degree is in so they can sort of like try to puncture whatever argument i have <laughs> um but i'm just i just finished my dissertation i'm done so i'm i'm maybe going to try to find a tenure track job but i'm enjoying what i'm doing so much that i might just keep doing this stuff instead i'm glad you like it I mean, obviously, because you have this Twitter following um, and this is something I'm not familiar with because, hey, if I get to 900, I'll be happy. Um, <laughs> but I haven't gotten I've never really experienced like angry followers before. Has anyone ever um, successfully gotten in a burn based on their research on you? You feel uh, not based on my research, um, because my research is so abstract and uh, specific that like to get a burn that I would actually feel they'd almost have to do the same level of research. <laughs> so sure. I would be, I would be impressed. I'd have to then like, if once you get that far, it's like, now we have to have a conversation between colleagues. So it never quite works. Usually what they'll try to do is deflate like, oh, but it's from this university and they'll Google something. <laughs> the nice thing is I'm from the University of Toronto. So the kinds of people who hate me can't talk shit about the University of Toronto because that awful man, Jordan Peterson teaches there now. So who's that? <laughs> oh, lucky you not to know who Jordan Peterson is. I'm out He's of just loop. like this terrible alt-right. Oh. I mean, I'm making air quotes right now, but like thinker. Oh, um, he's not thinker. a fun Google. He's like this and he delightfully he's uh he's like this anti-trans advocate, but his mm. office door keeps getting glued shut by students. <laughs> Good. And you just yeah. get him stuck in there so he can't come out. Um, so you are my first uh, international guest because right. Anthony from the sunny shores of Canada. That's right. Yeah. We are Google hanging out all the way from Canada. And mm -hmm. are you? Do you feel comfortable saying what? Or you may have already said what uh, part of Canada you're in. I am in Toronto, which is its own weird little beast because it is in Canada, but. If you travel in 270 degrees around Toronto, you will hit America. So I'm, I'm further south than actually a fair bit of the United States. Um, but I do still have the accent. It does come through sometimes. Occasionally, huh. the raised A's show up. If I drop an about or two, I know you have a, a coin jar. If I say sorry, I'm going to be saying sorry a lot. It's just a Canadian habit. It's fine. It's like I'm a woman. So, you know, I say oh. sorry. Uh, yesterday, <laughs> actually, I... Uh, I went to, so I have a very, I do not enjoy confrontation. And so if somebody brings me the wrong food at a restaurant for a very long time, I wouldn't say anything, but I did I'm yesterday saying. very politely. And the waitress was so nice. And I honestly think we were both tortured by that interaction and are both probably still obsessing about it because oh, I, I said, Hey, can I actually, I actually ask for this? And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then she gave me like twice as much food. And when she came back, she said, I'm so sorry. And I was like, I'm sorry. And then I was, I was with my boyfriend and I said, should I write, I'm sorry on the receipt. He was like, 
what? No. What? Why are you? Why? Why? So yes, maybe I'm I Canadian. I think a wait staff could serve me my own arm, and I wouldn't say anything. I would just be like, "Oh, this is perfect. This is fine." Like mm. if I was on Hannibal, I'd be like, "No, <laughs> you you do what you need to do." <laughs> mm, delicious arm. Um. Mm. So I'm curious, especially because you are you grew up in Canada. Um. What is your history with Fraser? Because I don't know. Uh what your access was. I'm sure you had NBC. Oh I'm God. talking about you like you're from a different planet. <laughs> you're in Canada. I like it. Yeah. Um, I, Frasier, I came to uh, in syndication, but it was still on. Uh, so it, I don't know when you syndicate after what, 100 episodes? So mm. it's been in season five by then, but mm-hmm. uh, I would watch Frasier. I, I lived outside of Toronto, like a good hour outside of Toronto, but I went, uh, I had to commute every day downtown because I was at an all-boys Catholic private school. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Anyway, so I would get home around 4, um, and The Simpsons would be on at 6, and Frasier would be on at 6.30. So I'd be watching The Simpsons, and then I would watch Frasier. So five days a week, mm-hmm. I would watch Daphne and Frasier and Niles have coffee at uh, Cafe Nervosa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's weird, because I didn't really see them in sequence. I only just recently watched the show from end to end. I only recently finally got in because it was a syndicated thing. I never saw the last few episodes because they mm-hmm. pulled it from the run before you they screened them. So I never actually knew how it ended until very recently, like a few weeks ago. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't really seen past, I don't think, season seven. I remember Daphne and Niles running away in the RV and that was like sort of my last memory of the show. So I never knew what the afterlife was of those characters until very recently. Um, but that was how I came to Frasier. So that's interesting. So you're saying that because you were watching it um, while it was uh, in syndication, does that mean until just now you you didn't really see the Daphne Nile storyline unfold? I didn't. I saw them. Yeah. Um, I saw them like literally leave the wedding. I saw Daphne ditch uh, Donnie at the altar. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of left to imagine what happened after that. I knew the show had kept running, mm-hmm. but I sort of had missed it. I had like started. I was older now, so I was like starting to have a life. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't home to see the new episodes. Um, so it was weird seeing like where things ended up going. It's also interesting, like just by nature of when I left at the end of season seven is also when the creative team kind of changes. Hmm. So I found the energy of the show also changed. Like it's palpable even watching them end to end, like I just did, that um, tonally there is a shift. I think. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a kind of different show. So I think I left it. There are some very, very good episodes in that back end, but I left it. I feel like I got the classic uh, show in a lot of ways. For sure. I mean, I think having watched it, not, of course, I can't say, you know, when it started in 1993 that I remembered watching it, (laughs) like what was going on. But I definitely was watching it in real time. I think I do remember when season seven actually aired. And then of course I've been watching it a lot since it, uh, it ended up on Netflix, which I'm assuming that's how you are also. Actually, no, it's not on Canadian (gasps) Netflix. I'm watching it on another subscription service called uh, Crave TV, um, which is not very intuitive to manage. It's like, I don't even know. I think it's getting it through Rogers or I think it's bell Uh um, bell media. Uh, but it is not as like easily laid out as it is on Netflix. I should really just put like one of those non-area things on my Netflix and watch it through there. But I mean, the crazy part is 
I, I often think about if Frasier was not on Netflix, would I keep it? Because that's really what I watch most of the time. It is <laughs> wow. truly, beca well, because I personally, um, I like, there's a lot of shows or no, more like four shows, I would say that I've watched when I was a kid and just know them. And so having them be like background noise is nice. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Frasier definitely fits that aesthetic. And um, it was funny. Um, um, if you didn't know, I'm, I love therapy. I'm a big fan. <laughs> so, and I know that I've been told many times by articles and my own therapist not to watch anything that's too like stimulating before bed because that's going to make it, you know, even harder to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And I, and I said, I said to my therapist, she was like, my therapist was like, yeah, you shouldn't watch anything too intense. I was like, what about Frasier? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So um, she gave me <laughs> her blessing to watch it. A therapist uh, it, approved. It is, it is funny watching it in sort of the Netflix model, like a model that it was never designed for. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you were yeah. never meant to be able to watch multiple Frasier episodes in a row. You were never meant to be able to watch them without commercials. And it's interesting mm -hmm. watching structurally how that affects the way you perceive things. Like there's actually sometimes a deep continuity that you don't perceive over years. Like sure. um, characters who recur, like I, I'd never, it never even occurred to me that, while I was watching it in syndication as a kid, that when Frasier talks about like these casual references to ex-girlfriends, you could remember those characters. Like they were actually yeah. people that were on the show. It's not just like a joke that they're making for the scene. Mm -hmm. um, and by the same token, like we, we were talking about how we we're going to do um, uh, sort of the queer subtexts in Frasier. I was rewatching the episode at the end of season one. Mm -hmm. That's all in the co my coffee with Niles. It's all, season, um, it's all like real time. In, and it's like structured by, Every time one of them goes to the bathroom, it goes to a commercial break and you sort of lose that in oh. Netflix, right? <laughs> yeah, that definitely. It's weird. It's weird because now when I watch it, it just feels like watching a play because of those breaks. And so I no longer even think of them as like, a, oh, there was a commercial there. I just think of it as like curtain closing. Yeah, act right. Two, and then with the cute little like title for each segment. So yeah, no, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. Um, and it's like, it's also built into the joke, right? Like Niall, uh, Frazier goes to the bathroom and when he comes back, Niles makes a point that he took longer than it should have taken him to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and it like becomes, he has to explain why he was in there for like the length of a commercial break. Right? Sure, yeah. Like the hand moisturizer malfunctioned or something. <laughs> He's got some OCD. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite character? And it doesn't have to be one of the five. It could be anyone. Um, I was just listening to you talk to Josh Gondelman and mm. his argument about Maris is compelling to me. I'm yeah. interested in farce, the way that farce has to keep characters off stage, mm -hmm. uh, because if we ever saw them, they, they're too monstrous to be seen. Um, and also we would immediately be filled with pity for them in a way that would sort of ruin the souffle of the farce. So I get that. Um, but I always identify, I really loved Niles. Like I really understood that sort of fussiness and that sort of like, um, archness of character i really also david hyde pierce is like a, one of the great comedic geniuses of the 20th century so Absolutely. i loved niles growing up and like as a tiny little gay um <laughs> he was like a there's a lot about niles that appealed to me like not just that sort of like um eruditeness but also like 
I was really fascinated by stories of like impossible love, like stories of like, like Niles and Daphne spoke. I'm actually, as I'm saying this, making eye contact with my Phantom of the Opera poster that's uh-huh. right above the TV. <laughs> um, something that like, oh, if only she could get past my problems, she would love me. It's sort of a queer narrative in itself, but also like it lets you displace love to a place where it's like, impossible for you to even imagine and therefore you can idealize like that's an old trope right like mm-hmm. back to chivalry like you make the woman unattainable and then whatever male male relationships you have are sort of like okay because of you have this idealized Beatrice or whatever sure. and Daphne sort of did that for me I, th- I think everything you're saying uh, leads me to a great quote from this article that I read with David Hyde Pierce uh, I think this was in in a Vulture interview, the uh, so Niles was talking, not Niles, excuse me, David Hyde <laughs> Pierce was talking about um, sort of like physical acting. And he said, so this is a quote um, about Niles and the way he held restraint in his body as a character. The character on Frasier is that tension between someone who is restrained but has this intense desire and in that case he's in love with a woman. I guess that's where that physicality came from. It's not just about the delivery of a line, it's also about how a body moves in space or illustrates a point or expresses a need or whatever those things are that I think are almost musical. I thought that was great. He's very restrained for sure. Like I want to see him um on on stage i never have and you know that's what he's doing now i think is just being (laughs) on stage also when i was a kid i didn't think for i didn't take the time as a kid like as a 12 13 year old honest to god even in my own life was not necessarily thinking about sexuality if that makes sense so like when i watched (laughs) that show I did not consider for even a moment what these characters as as actors were like in real life or if oh. anybody was gay in real life, including oh, wow. Niles. Uh, I, we had very different experiences. Yeah, most people <laughs> I mean, I, like I said, <laughs> like I, said I, uh, I went to an all-boys Catholic, so um, uh, I was not dealing with, like I was very self-consciously not processing a lot of things that were going on mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. my psyche. <laughs> sure. And I think that you sort of, that quote from David Hyde Pierce is so, like that's actually more than his mannerisms, that's the queer thing about Niles is that mm-hmm. he has a secret that he desperately wants to, like the queerness of the Niles-Daphne relationship is that um, he can't say what it is he feels desperately he needs to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of like, that's why he's so good at it. That's why David Hyde, I mean, He's, as Niles playing a character who has a secret, even as David Hyde Pierce was still not out, right? right? Like he wasn't publicly acknowledging, like he was living one of the great, I mean, really one of the great love stories of the 20th century's comedies, like Daphne and Niles is up there. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Sort of like Sam Diane was for Cheers, right. they're the Sam and Diane of this show. For sure. Um, even as he can't express his own desires, right? Like. Every time he's asked about the Daphne Niles thing, it's going to come up and he can't talk about it. So there is something about the the doubling of that that is pregnant throughout the show, right? Like this is a show that is um, 
David Lee, the creator, was gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Keenan, who came on in season two and ran until season seven and then came back for season 11, is a gay writer. Um, mm-hmm. Almost every actor except Kelsey Grammer was gay. Right? <laughs> so. I, right. I didn't know that. And then I started looking up everyone because I had only heard other people tell me that Bulldog, a.k.a. Dan Butler, was gay. And he <laughs> he's openly gay. Like, yeah. Didn't Even at the clue. time he was, which is a huge, that was a huge deal. I who, think he, who? he ended up marrying Dan Butler. He was out at the oh, time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was actually ended up marrying, I forget who he married on the show, <gasps> but he married like someone behind the scenes. Oh. Uh, Ed Hibbert, who plays um, Gil, yes. was gay. He is yes. gay. He actually, a friend was telling me he has a, he plays an amazing Lady Bracknell in The Importance of Being Artist. Uh, I'm not familiar, uh, but oh. I will take your word. Oh my God, it is. If you haven't seen, there's a great, I think it's from the 40s, a film version of Importance of Being Earnest. Okay. Uh, Lady Bracknell is like the arch diva of the show. Uh, Yeah. um, Is the best one-liners you ever heard. If you enjoy, I mean, if you enjoy the farce of Frasier, you must watch Importance of Being Earnest because that is is where its DNA comes from. I'm writing Um, it down. I've heard of it, (laughs) but I haven't. Um, Don't watch the '90s version because it's too—it's too winky. It's too self-aware. Watch the 1940s original. version. There's like a Criterion version of it. Um, it has every line is like a gem. It's also about this sort of like uh, uh, the unspeakable secret, right? Like, importance of being earnest is about a character who can't reveal the great secret of his past, which is that he was found in a railway station. <laughs> and Lady Bracknell mm-hmm. is the great blocking figure, where she's like, "Well, to have lost." To lost one parent is a tragedy. To have lost both parents accounts can be accounted as carelessness. Right? So, um, you I'm, have to watch it. I feel uh, like you, if you haven't already, should do some. I feel like you could do a whole class just on the topic that we're talking about right now. Honestly, <laughs> did you? Well, I've been. I would. Would the nice thing about watching Frasier again, end to end it like this, is to sort of think about. Um, the nature of how farce has changed on the stage and the way that television, um, Joe Keenan, who wrote a lot of the, if we're going to talk about queerness on the mm. show, Joe mm-hmm. Keenan wrote the gayest episodes of Frasier. He also wrote the best episodes of Frasier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also wrote, he was the great farceur of the show. Like he writes 20 minute plays that are structured like old French farces, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, the Ski Lodge episode. Uh, Ski Lodge is going to come up in any anybody's top 10 episodes of Frasier. The of Ski Lodge is going to come up. Um, also with a gay element to it, but designed like a farce. Like the set changes and suddenly we have all these doors that the characters have to go in and out of. That's like mm-hmm. classic farce. Um, he's just a gem. I've been reading his book, Blue Heaven, which actually is right here in front of me. Ooh. If you enjoy Frasier, you should pick up Joe Keenan's Blue Heaven. I'm writing it that is... down. I'm writing oh, everything you say down. <laughs> Blue Heaven? Uh, Blue Heaven, it's called. Yeah. Um, it is a, it's a, a novel, a farce novel. It's about, um, if you want to talk about queerness in Frasier, like, mm-hmm. so plot of uh, Blue Heaven, it's about these two gay, like, poor New York artists mm-hmm. um, who get into these scrapes. And one of them, every every chapter is basically an episode of Frasier, um, except the cast yes. is now explicitly gay, right? They're like, they're like 90s homosexuals. <laughs> uh, and they're like, uh, amazing, like diva friends. Uh, and the, the overarching plot of the book is that Gilbert, um, the sort of more caddish of the two friends, has decided the best 
get rich quick scheme is to defraud his family, which are connected to the mob and his uh, his beards family who are connected to English royalty by mm -hmm. staging a scam wedding. <laughs> so he's he's a gay man marrying his beard to trick oh. all these families into giving them gifts. No, there's <laughs> definitely every... you've already described parts of episodes of Frasier where there was a misunderstanding of somebody's sexuality. Yes, yeah. <laughs> now I want to be honest in sometimes I pretend I know what words mean. So I'd like to go back because I love Ski Lodge. Ski Lodge, the Ski Lodge is like you said, one of everyone's favorite episodes. I have not seen a lot of plays, but I recognize, at least for me watching that, it feels like I'm watching a play with all the doors and all the misunderstandings. Uh -huh. So what? So when you say French farce, is that like, what is that? <laughs> oh, um, so like uh, French farce. Okay, so the example, okay. Have you seen like a Three's Company episode? Like, Sure, yeah. Yeah, so a... a Classic French farce is like if one person said one sentence that explained the plot, the whole episode would collapse. That's what like a good French farce is. So okay. like, um, like the 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 ending of the ski lodge where everyone sort of realizes, oh, we've all been chasing the wrong person. Yes. Or the uh, the other Joe Keenan episode is uh, the matchmaker, yes. where Fraser invites his boss over, not realizing his boss is gay not realizing his boss has interpreted him to be gay. Like right. that's a, that's like a, like, um, or Joe Keenan's other episode, which actually doesn't contain a, um, uh, any queer elements, but is also like, if you were going to make a list of like the top three episodes of Frasier, mm -hmm. you'd probably put the two Mrs. Cranes on there where, uh, Daphne has, is meeting her ex fiance Clive who she doesn't oh. want to marry. <laughs> she doesn't want to marry him, even though they have this like agreement that they'll get back together. Yeah. So she has to like create this false life, but the mm -hmm. lies keep escalating. Right. Roz becomes interested in him too. Daphne mm -hmm. decides she wants to be with him. Mm -hmm. Roz gives her a baby that she doesn't have, mm -hmm. and it it collapses when um, Clive comes out of the bathroom and hears Daphne scream, "How am I going to get rid of this bloody baby?" Right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's what a farce is. It's like a series of misunderstandings that build to like a climactic exposure of the like the lies, the moment where everyone on stage is exposed for having been a liar the whole time. I'm glad that somebody finally explained that device to me <laughs> because that's like what I love about Frasier, and I could never put it into words, which is that I constantly tell people, especially with episodes like the Ski Lodge, that it feels like a mathematical equation almost, yes, just that yeah. you have to like write all of these misunderstandings perfectly in and have them like implode at the end. Yeah. And now there's, there's uh, a word Keenan, for it. Joe Keenan talks about how he was on vacation writing that episode mm -hmm. and he was drawing all these graphs because he was like, okay, she's after him, he's after her but he has to think this. Um, there's that great like almost curtain call moment where they're all looking out the window at the deer where Martin is yes. like, <laughs> Martin is like anything could happen or something. And we all, we watch them all check each other out. Like that's like very stagey. Um, my, the other episode I really love that's kind of a farce is the one where they're, uh, Frazier's recording Nightmare In. Yes. And they're, <laughs> And like, Night it's basically a radio drama. The joke is that you can see them filming the radio drama and they're like popping the balloons to kill each other off, right? Like, um. yes. Do you know what's interesting? Like when you were talking about French farce, so I know that you and I, 
didn't necessarily get super into the last like three seasons of the show. Mm. But as I was looking up, because, you know, I essentially made a list of episodes that came to mind in my head that involved, um, you know, some some kind of gay plot line. And then one popped up that I completely forgot about, which is actually all the way from season 11. Mm-hmm. It's called The Doctor Is Out. Yes. And yeah. oh, you've you're familiar? Yeah, guess who wrote it? <laughs> uh, uh, Joe Keenan? Uh, yep. uh, and and Wait, the logline for sure this that's true. That might not be true. Oh, um, well the logline for this is a, a misunderstanding leads the town to believe that Fraser is gay. Oh, it is. It's Joe Keenan coming back for season 11. Yeah, he wrote a few. That's him. Yeah. What, <laughs> makes sense. What's interesting though now, especially after you've been talking about French farce, which I'm now going to purposely try and inject in every conversation I have because it just sounds really smart. (laughs) Just saying. Um, uh, I did notice that similarly, it's a situation where, you know, somebody, a guy, a man is attracted to Frasier, but this time Frasier knows. And one of my sort of favorite parts of this episode was like the very end where essentially, I don't remember his name, but the actor Patrick Stewart says oh, something Alistair. like, yeah. Alistair, can I somehow convince you to be my boyfriend? And <laughs> Frazier, you can tell, is truly considering yes. it. Yes, he says Which... something like, um, Frazier, like, tell, Frazier, it's, what I like about the later seasons, now that I've been watching them, is that this farce uh, quality becomes increasingly Baroque. Like, they have done it so many times that they kind of assume the audience will follow along. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my favorite, one of my favorite farce episodes is uh, Daphne. Daphne has the dinner party. Can I uh, pause you for once? Se- oh no, sure, no, it's yeah. working. Sorry, I thought something was not working. Okay, start that sentence over. Yes, go ahead, uh, Daphne. Yes, so uh, I'm, I'm going to come back to the doctor is out in a second, but like yeah. what I like about this sort of late series baroqueness, sort of it can get very mannerist about itself. It can start you. It assumes you will understand how a basic Frasier farce episode works not every Frasier episode is a farce like some of them are like my coffee with Niles where it's just like they quietly have coffee for a while Mm -hmm. but when it's one of these like um madcap scheme episodes uh by the later after season seven they kind of assume you'll get it so when you watch the beginning of Daphne goes to dinner or Daphne does dinner it starts at the end of the farce plot so Frasier has already lied to this woman about having Tourette's syndrome um (laughs) <laughs> oh my God, I'm trying something to... is already on fire right like i don't know you need to the beginning of it is amazing the, yes. the scene ends with martin coming in wearing a sash declaring he's the duke of like italy or something and he's like bonjour no like and everyone is like don't worry about it dad it's over and we never see what that plot even was yes. and what's amazing about that episode is daphne is like listen you guys cannot have dinner parties anymore <laughs> because even in the universe of fraser the characters inside it have now learned the rules. And they're like, when you have a dinner party, it goes so, so wrong. We can't have them anymore. And of course she tries to have a normal one and it ends like literally with the bed falling through the ceiling. Right. Um, That's also what's good about the doctor is out is that everybody in it knows what's happening. Everybody knows Fraser has been mistaken for gay and are trying to tell him, listen, this is what the plot is. You have been mistaken for gay. This man believes you are his boyfriend. And Frazier is constantly denying it. And quickly we realize that he knows that's the plot and yet he's enjoying it so much. He's just playing along. And the, the sort of punchline of the episode is when he says like, listen, I'm not going to have sex with you 
but he's loving the fame. He says, like, I'm finally in a power couple. Is it perfect? No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Patrick Stewart's character says, would three weeks at uh, Bertolucci's villa change your mind? And we, the, the joke is how long it takes Frazier to respond. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I, I really thought he was going to go along with it for... I mean... <laughs> Just that so. would be that's like the the pleasure of it is like how far um earlier in the episode uh Alice says is there anything you can't do and Niall says time will tell because <laughs> <laughs> there's no way to know when it'll end um that episode um, is weird because yeah. they do talk about it's one of the meanest episodes about queerness too like they joke about uh Roz's boyfriend in it quite a bit where they he, do yeah that right yes that's like how the whole farce begins because they think that the his boy they think her boyfriend is gay because he is good looking he is muscly and he uh is the women's shopper for some um some department store and he rearranges Roz's closet right yeah. and then they watch him pass the gay bar and he disappears while Frazier is trapped inside Niles's little short shorts <laughs> yes in his teeny tiny short shorts so sometimes I think about especially in this episode and I feel like it might actually be accurate. So it's, it's, I go back and forth. But I think it's pretty obvious, especially in this episode, that, you know, Martin is from an older generation. Okay. And I feel like he often makes reference to the fact that, like, his sons never wanted to do sports. And then there, I remember the episode, uh, the dinner party, where, uh, which is one of my favorite episodes, by the way, that's when Frasier and Niles plan a dinner party. The whole episode takes place oh, in Frasier's yes. apartment. Yeah. And then like somebody leaves a message that essentially says that they're like weird, the br- na- Frasier and Niles, and they're kind of like a couple. <laughs> right. And then when they- <laughs> You ask, get one, you get that other one. You is get that other one. That's the recording? Oh God. <laughs> yeah. And when they ask Martin about it, they say, do you think we're weird? And he goes, no, you're just special. So- right. I um I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like he's probably a good representation of what somebody his age might think. But I'm curious what you think. Yeah. I mean, again, like we were talking about how everyone in the cast is gay. John Mahoney is a strange case because he never quite you'll never find the pull quote where John Mahoney says, I'm gay. Like yeah. it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he did star he was like in uh, broken hearts club um he did several interviews for out magazine whenever sexuality came up he instead sort of demurred and would talk about um talked a lot about how he had like surgery had like a colostomy bag and therefore in his mind he was no longer eligible to be loved which is a very sad narrative um but that was always how he deferred the question so huh that being said, like he also did, I think it's an episode of ER or something, one of those procedurals where he played like an aging drag queen. Wow. Um, it's something that like, it's it's part of his performance, I think, is this sort of, the same thing that makes Bulldog so fascinating to watch mm-hmm. and so sort of toothless to watch. Like Bulldog is a very gross, um, fratty character, but for sure, we always sense there's something of a burlesque of masculinity about him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true of Mahoney's... Um, Uh, Martin too is that he always reads to us like we can trust him like he's always going to be the good dad he's always going to love his sons Mm -hmm. he may make a weird remark or two um, but he's a gentle like when um, one of the other queer episodes is the one with uh, David Ogden Steers we also just lost Um, uh, he plays uh, what is that character's name he plays Hester's old grad student 
Um, Which episode was this? This is, uh, oh, Fathers and Sons, it's called. It's uh, 1022. Uh, Ooh, David Ogg Ogden Steers one. plays uh, Leland Barton. He's like, um, David Ogden Steers was, he used to be on MASH. He was the voice of Cogsworth and like, um, he was like a Disney voice. Like if he, if you watched a Disney movie in the nineties, he's in it. He played like Ratcliffe. Uh -huh. uh, he has that very distinctive mellifluous voice. Um, anyway, he plays uh, Hester's old grad student who's coming to town to visit the Cranes. Um, he, and the plot of the episode is that Martin thinks this man might actually be Frazier and Niles' father because he was close. Oh. He was close to Hester at the time. Um, Martin, over the course of the series, spends a lot of time dealing with the fact that he knows for a fact his wife cheated on him. Right, yeah. Um, Find that early wonders, on. Pretty yeah, early. very early on. And yeah. this, uh, and he wonders, it becomes a plot point in this episode when he's talking to Roz. Roz says, like, you know she would never cheat on you. And he says, actually, she did. So uh, it's like, <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, the culmination of the episode is um, he finally confronts Leland about the fact that he suspects that Frazier and Niles are his, uh, are his children. Mm -hmm. and, Leland, and Leland says, I loved her. And Martin says, well, my question then is, how much did you love her? And he says, I loved her enough to tell her I was gay. And Martin is like stunned and there's like a weird laugh from the audience, but Martin is immediately like so loving to Leland. Yeah. Their goodbye is so kind to each other. Mm -hmm. It's this moment of like mutual recognition of this woman they both lost. Um, and then Martin walks into the house and he's like, my boys. And <laughs> Frazier and Niles are of course immediately at their most gay. They're singing this like old uh, Gilbert and Sullivan song about like Tommy Titmouse. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and that's always been the energy of the show. Like even earlier in that episode, when Leland walks into the apartment, uh, he meets he meets Martin. He's like, hey, Martin, it's been a long time since I've seen you. He meets Frasier. Um, and he's like, wow, I haven't seen you since you were seven year years old. You still look really good in a suit. And then he turns around and meets Roz. And he is so kind, so loving. He shakes her hand and he says, oh, I guess you don't go by Niles anymore. Oh my! And it's just like, <laughs> that's that's kind of the weird, that tells you sort of everything about the show's queerness is like, it's an uncomfortable joke. It's a dated joke. For sure. And yet behind it is a warmth. Behind it is an acceptingness. Even in the episode where Frasier comes out by accident, he's like, I've had gay friends before. Like, this is not an issue for him. Yeah. I mean, I would say the difference between, you know, uh, the treatment of, of gay characters or just being gay as a plot in this show versus Friends mm -hmm. is that, you know, with Friends, anytime like, like anytime anyone is gay, uh, it's just used as like an insult. Yes, that, that's yeah. seemingly different. I mean, seemingly on Frasier, a lot of it is sort of poking fun at stereotypes. A lot of like, oh, if you know, very well dressed men that go to the opera and the misunderstandings that <laughs> go along with it sometimes. Um, yeah, like Friends is a good like that's what that debuted what a year after Frasier yeah it was 93 um, and then 94 yeah mm -hmm. and like Seinfeld is its other contemporary like of course when you're watching these things you have to make a certain allowance for the fact that it was what 30 years ago <laughs> so oh not every not every use of language is going to be quite what you would hope it would be not just um, that though given what you were saying about who was writing for Frasier I don't think the same can be said for Friends or Seinfeld that there were no gay writers yeah I, and so much of friends is about i mean so much of friends for me which i also just rewatched. of course of. <laughs> it's on netflix. i mean for me like, it's on netflix i've i rewatched it 
<laughs> like all those gay jokes, and there are so many, are all about, like Friends for me is a show about, okay, like even as its sort of theme song announces, like you didn't get married at 18, you didn't get married at 20, mm -hmm. you didn't have the life your parents had. How do you negotiate the idea of being a 20 something, an early 30 something, for which there is no model, for which there is no pre-existing, like Friends sort of invents a kind of second adolescence for a generation, basically. But the anxiety behind that is, if you're not attached, if you're not married, and you have a male roommate, mm -hmm. and you have like these close male-male relationships, right. you're going to be anxious that that's a gay relationship. Like that's what the Chandler-Joey thing is all about. Chandler's sort mm. of still figuring himself out in this weird way. He has his issues with his father. Oh, the show yeah. keeps calling it his father, but it's clearly, Kathleen again, like Turner. the language almost hasn't been exist. Yeah, like sure. <laughs> it's clearly a trans narrative, not right. a gay narrative, even though the show doesn't have language for that. No, definitely um, not. Whereas Frasier has none of that. Frasier's not no. afraid to be perceived as gay. No, not uh, at all. And you know what else I also love about Frasier is separately, I'm sure probably if I looked hard enough, I could find some montages of like every joke associated with Gil being closeted, but there are just right. so many little gems. And um, one of them I wrote down, or I wrote down a few, but I liked his reference to his wife, Deb, Yes, who um, I believe works at a car garage. <laughs> um, so I really enjoyed that. And then very early on, um, I rewatched recently um, an episode from season one where Frazier starts going through some kind of midlife crisis. A 22-year-old woman hits on him at a clothing store and she works there. And then when she goes to see him at work to bring him his pants, she meets Bulldog and then she says to Frazier, is he gay? It seems like he's really overcompensating. I was like, oh, that's really self-aware. Yeah, he is overcompensating. Yeah, uh, the the Gil joke I always remember um, is the Halloween party. Mm. I think Martin is dressed as Sherlock Holmes. Yep. And Gil is dressed. Last, Gil is, we don't, he doesn't tell us. Yeah, I, he asks him who he's dressed as. He says, yeah. I'm the last of the Mohicans. Mm -hmm. And Martin, like, to the punch bowl is like, that little mystery solved. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I like the yeah. Gil plot. I wish they hadn't resolved it because the question of the Gil plot for me is always, is this a deeply closeted man or is the joke that he actually is straight? And like Frasier, he's like this like effeminate man who has every gay stereotype attached to him, but is in fact straight. I think that that was a pleasurable quantum unsolvability that the, the doctor is out finally solves for us because at the end in the stinger, while, Kelsey Grammer singing about yep. tossed salads and scrambled eggs. We see Gil descend into the the gay bar. That's right. And I think that was a mistake. I wish it had stayed completely I unsolved. Agree. <laughs> I agree. You know what? And as you bring that up, I completely forgot to add to this list another episode I really like, which is when Frasier has a sexy dream about Gil. Yes. I yeah. love that episode. I don't remember how it's resolved. But I um, think it ends with him having another dream, except now it's about Freud. Yes. <laughs> in yeah. yeah. Frazier is having dreams that he's in a seedy hotel room. Mm -hmm. He wakes up alone. He looks at his arm and sees the tattoo chesty. Chesty the word chesty. Yeah. And then he, uh, and then the shower stops running and Gil emerges naked. <laughs> yeah. And it's very clear they've just spent the night together or are about to go for a second round. And he's like consulting. He's like talk, tries to talk to his dad about it. And he says, um, and then from the shower comes a man and his dad's face is like horrified. And Frazier is so 
so alarmed. He's like eating lion. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, but again, like when he talks to, when he talks to Niles about it, he's like, we can skip the obvious interpretation, right? Like he, and he's like, refuses to accept that a man, he, he's too old to be latent, right? Like yes, he can, he absolutely. deals with gay people. He's like, okay with it. Um, mm-hmm. He just has that nineties discomfort of like, well, I'm not. Exactly. Like there's still the sizzle of like, it's an insult to be perceived as, but he, it's part of his life. Like he doesn't have a problem with Gil. You know? <laughs> no. And Gil, um, also I just like the name Gil Chesterton. Yes. It's perfect. So British. It's, it's actually, it's a very, it's a very Oscar Wilde kind of name, like Lady Bracknell. Like it has that kind of like, it's delightful to say. <laughs> um, so I wanted to bring up another episode with Lilith. Because Lilith, I have many thoughts on. I mean, you know, she's often, she and Maris are often grouped into the same, like, ice cold, Mm -hmm. pale, witch witch women. Um, Uh Now, I started to think about this um, sort of like, where is her sexuality? Because I remember one sort of uh, episode was she ends up sleeping with Niles. This is a direct result of her husband leaving her for a man. Yes, that's right. I forgot about her that. Her husband yeah. leaves her for a, for a man. And then even ju- in, just in general and also within that episode, I think she's definitely sort of framed as being this very like domineering presence. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on Lilith. But, yeah, actually, it's yeah. funny. I was, um, I sort of in preparation for talking to you, I was like listing all the moments I could remember of like, uh, explicit sort of gay content uh-huh. and just by nature of who was working on the show there's a lot of male male things but I was like sure what are the good like lesbian moments in mm-hmm. the text mm-hmm. um and I was talking to a friend of mine and she was like well Lilith is like a gay icon <laughs> uh-huh. like Lilith is she said Lilith was my big first crush and it's uh-huh. like there's something queer about Lilith too like uh, gay men and and lesbian women sort of respond to these like over the top ice queen divas, right? Like sure. Lilith walks into a room and is immediately the top, right? Like mm-hmm. Fraser is completely dominated by her. Um, mm-hmm. Maris, even from off stage, is completely has com- Niles completely cowed, right? Yep. Like mm-hmm. um, there's something of the diva, and there's something great about that episode where she breaks down, right? Like it's Lilith as her most human, yeah. mm-hmm. um, at her most. Uh, well, emasculated is the wrong word, but like vulnerable? she vulnerable. Yeah. We yeah. see her hair down in that. Right. Like, and yeah. she, Frazier is like, I've never seen your hair down. She's like, yes, I, I spent two hours thinking about it and decided to be playful. <laughs> <laughs> um, she, yeah. There's, there's, we like watching, it's sort of the same pleasure you were talking about with Niles is like, we like watching characters whose whole personality is being tied up, start to unravel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the pleasure is of that episode. And of course, she immediately gets capitulated into another one of these farce plots, right? Where she has to hide in the bathroom. Or Niles has dis- to hide in the bathroom. <laughs> right. right. And they're like, everyone's like, eggs in the bathroom, right? Because the <laughs> breakfast cart goes in. <laughs> I also, uh, just upon rewatching some episodes with her, she definitely also had a very specific style. I would say, which I really liked. It definitely reminded me of like early. Well, I think also that I think Frasier came before Sex in the City, but the way she dressed reminded me of the way um, Miranda dressed on Sex in the City. But she was very much like 
pro trench coats and mm -hmm. um khakis but like you know slightly very feminine severe bun right oh the bun it was just so tight just yeah, yeah. Uh, um bb newworth is a dancer right and like that energy of like just BB being newworth? wound yeah that energy of just being wound yes. so tight is in there um that bun is like pure like prima ballerina right like there's something of lilith where it's just like um again i'm looking at that phantom of the opera poster like madame giri like the severe commanding ballet master <laughs> something of that is in lilith for um, sure and there's definitely the, a lot of the women too not a lot but there's a few that stick out to me that are sort of dominating that are the ones that come back into Fraser's life i mean bb newworth the or sorry bb glazer the character oh, is yes. one of my favorite <laughs> recurring characters and then i mean i remember when he dates um the former or then station manager kate costas who like challenges him yeah. so he definitely seems to have an, an affinity for women that, that control him yeah there's him. also that episode where he dates um is she like a she's like a celebrity lawyer or something she's like on cnn yes, uh, yes. and fraser becomes like her real housewife right, right. like they switch the roles <laughs> yes he's right. the woman yeah we're both making a lot of air quotes right now uh, yes i don't <laughs> yeah, fully know like, what they mean but <laughs> he's showing like the other wives his new watch right he's like oh she got this for me um yeah the show is full when a woman emerges into fraser's life she's always like this larger than life um, almost like a, a burlesque of like the uncontrollable woman, right? Like BB Glazer is the last time we see BB, she erupts out of like that steaming bathroom and she's like coming from the mouth of hell, right? Like uh, seduce him <laughs> one last time. Um, also, like, uh, yeah. the episode I really like is Dr. Nora. Uh, again, that's a oh, yeah, that's also a Joe Keenan episode with oh my god, how am I blanking on her name? Christine Baranski, yes, Christine yeah. Baranski, um, as this sort of like. Uh, Anita Bryant kind of character, right? Like she, uh, she has that. She's like a fake um, psychiatrist who's mm -hmm. like quite chaste. She has that moment where a woman calls in. She's bisexual, mm -hmm. and she calls her an equal opportunity mm -hmm. slut. slut. Yeah, right. Yeah, I like, that. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's and something then, queer about those women who hate gays too. Right? Yeah, for sure. And also the way you described the unraveling, which happens so gloriously at the end, That's with right. I, is. Correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong, but the mom at the end, I believe, is also the mom in Carrie. Is yes, that possible? that's exactly who it yeah. is. Yeah, it's great casting. <laughs> and she, she runs screaming, screaming. From screaming. The room. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. One more episode that I wanted to mention, which was, uh, I think this might have been a Valentine's Day episode. Uh, oh, out and with it's dad. Out with dad. Yeah, out with dad was great. Um, especially because in retrospect, it's like Martin only knows what he thinks being gay is and so like i remember when he goes i'll gay it up right and he yes, just starts yeah. going your hair looks divine it was like right. a, a cringeworthy moment but I uh, that's another joe keenan episode oh. uh, <laughs> and self-conscious about it actually um we were talking about like the origins of farce mm -hmm. that episode so he goes to the opera with fraser mm -hmm. um because Fraser wants to meet a woman there and he can't go alone, but he can't yeah. go with a date. So he convinces Martin to come and they're mm -hmm. sitting in the box. Um, and Martin gives a little speech about farce plots where he says like, I hate these opera things. They're always so unbelievable. <laughs> if someone just said what was going on and Fraser's like, no, it's perfectly understandable. 
Rigoletto is a hunchback and he's living with his daughter, but everyone thinks it's his, his mistress. And they're yeah. trying to seduce the Duke who's in disguise as like a, and Martin's <laughs> like, see, that's ridiculous. And then they immediately fall in themselves into a farce plot, right? Where mm -hmm. um, he waves across to the woman. Uh, Martin immediately is, uh, the, the woman's mother mistakes Martin for waving to her. So he lies to her to spare her feelings to say he's gay. And he's immediately set up with his their uncle. <laughs> Who's British. Yes. Has a Gil Chesterton vibe. I say that because he was gay and British. That's really my only. <laughs> well, yeah. it's a plot point, right? Like Martin can't detect that he's gay because he assumes he's just British, right? Like you can't right. tell. Like <laughs> Of course. Very um, hard to tell. Definitely, right. yeah. That Between him, Sir Patrick Stewart, and, and Gil, there's definitely... I don't think it's a coincidence a lot of the 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 gay love interests have been British on this show. That's true. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. And um, and now is just maybe I don't know if this is reaching very far but like in that episode the matchmaker the guy that um likes Fraser oh, right. the station manager isn't British but he has just broken up with somebody in the in the UK, and he's just and they actually he and Fraser bond over their mutual love of London. That's like That's literally right. their first conversation. It makes me want to know more about Joe Keenan and his romantic history. <laughs> That's true, huh? That's right. Why yes. would that be? I guess it's like it it gives you a cover for why a man might be cultured. Sure. Um, that make leads, lets you have that frisson of ambiguity. Like in every case, it's like, well, he's just British. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it's amazing. Patrick Stewart is clearly, in retrospect, Ian McKellen wasn't well known yet outside mm -hmm. of the British scene, but Patrick Stewart is clearly doing his impression of Ian McKellen that whole episode when you yes. watch it. Yes. Um, now I want to rewatch it again, even though I already saw it today. Because that sounds, <laughs> it, it's definitely, it was a, would you say it was over the top? It was very, I don't know, m musical. Just everything yes. that he said. And the way Niles has one of my favorite lines about camp, I think ever. Like if I was writing like an essay about camp, like we don't need another one. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, he says, uh, Patrick Stewart's character, he's like an opera director and he says something terrible about, he's staging La Boheme and he says, I wish I could get my Nini to stop eating cheeseburgers. I said to her, honey, you're dying of consumption, not overconsumption. And <laughs> Frazier and Niles both laugh and Niles says, it's funny because it's bitchy. And like, that is like, puts its nail like right on the head of like, what it, what, what is camp funny because it's bitchy. Like that's sort of the pleasure of a lot of these queer episodes of Frasier, I think. I was thinking about like, well, what would be an episode where, there's the episode, do you remember the one where Frasier is talking, he's like dealing with Frederick and he's like, why should you be a good person? And he goes into an elaborate uh, dream sequence where he imagines picking up this woman who needs help. Yes. Uh, and then suddenly the actor flips and it's not a woman anymore. And it's like, we're supposed to understand this was like a trans uh, sex worker. Yes. It's like picking up all that stuff from the 90s of like Hugh Grant and um, uh, Eddie Murphy. And again, it's like, yes, the joke is that she's trans and we're supposed to sort of laugh at the mistake. But Frasier is oddly kind to her. Like in the later scene when they're at yeah. the hotel, when they're at jail, um, right. he's like, well... They've been clearly been talking and they've like built up a rapport and he's like hoping the best for her. Like, right. It's like the perfect line of like, yeah, it was the nineties. Yeah. They didn't get it. But when you compare that to the way friends would have handled that joke, it's like a very different show. Completely different. I mean, you meet in, uh, in friends, you meet 
his his dad. Yes. Played by Kathleen Turner and yeah. it's yeah. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that that storyline was was treated with respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say. Um I mean, I think Fraser I would say yes, you definitely saw that he had empathy. Um I wouldn't say until very recently though. I feel like it was still sort of a butt of the joke. Just Yeah. Whereas like like there's another episode where um Fraser is sort of confronting his bully Billy Creasel. Um yeah. and Niles is terrified, he doesn't even want to see him. Mm-hmm. Um he says, Tell him I'm abroad. Like tell him I'm in Europe. And Fraser mm-hmm. repeats the line to Billy, he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. Niles is abroad now. But Billy thinks he means a broad, like he's a woman now. Right, and right. Billy is oddly okay with that too. He's like, good for him. Like it's like this weird, like the the energy of the show is so bizarre in that it's yeah. like always oddly capacious for these people. It's it's fascinating. For I don't sure. know. No, you know, I remembered also at the end of the matchmaker episode where um they're sort of going over the list of people that the station manager thought was gay, including Martin. And then he says, but Niles, come on. And then I think yeah. he says something like, Maris? He was talking Maris was about a woman? woman? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. What's fun. amazing is he's been given no indication. Like, Frazier has said something that made him think Martin was gay, but no one has said anything to make him think Niles is gay. He just assumed. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in retrospect, yes. It it definitely, um, I would have I would have questioned his sexuality had I started watching this show now, which is, oh, it's always mind blowing to me. And of course now people are going to start watching shows they didn't get to watch when we, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they were on, but it definitely, for me, there's a, there's a nostalgia that I connect to Frasier, but I've like, I've had people on here that only watched it on Netflix all the way through. And it, it's like, Oh wow. Blew my mind. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a time capsule. Um, I think one of the things to say about it is, uh, as much as some of these jokes are, you know, capital P problematic, um, when put in context, it is striking. Frasier is one of the first shows I can think of where the joke became that there are gay people in the world. You're just meant to take that as true. Mm-hmm. And the problem is you if you have a problem with it, you know, like right. the joke is on Martin for getting uncomfortable. There's mm-hmm. even, even in the episode we were talking about Daphne does dinner there's a gay couple at that dinner party and the joke is never that they're gay. We just, they come in and we're supposed to be sophisticated enough to be like, yeah, there's going to be gays at a dinner party. It'd be crazy Mm -hmm. not to have gays at your dinner party. (laughs) And they also get to be actually, they're delightfully bitchy themselves, right? Like (laughs) they keep bragging on how badly Daphne's dinner party is going. When the bed falls through the ceiling, they're the ones who get to make the crack about it. They make the crack that everybody else gets to make in the show about how Frazier and Niles are way too close, right? They, they're a de facto couple. Mm -hmm. Um, riding on their bicycle built for two. Right? <laughs> like, I need to um, rewatch that episode. If I've, oh, learned, yeah, if I've learned they're anything. They're interracial, an interracial gay couple too. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I definitely, <laughs> I'll probably have to rewatch the last three seasons. I do tend to. I'm guilty of stopping before, after after season eight. <laughs> but if I've learned oh. anything from this hour, I would say I know what, I've, I know the words French farce and I will probably misuse them at some point. <laughs> But I, well, I truly feel like if it doesn't already exist and ha- if I were still in college, 
because I took a I took one TV class in college because it was the only one available and I regret it because I didn't even watch it, which was a, a class about South Park. And now I'm oh. like, who cares? Um, right. But if there had been like a like a class about like, you know, like queer cinema and queer TV, I would have taken it. Uh, and you I could teach that- it. Oh, I would, I would love to do, I would love to do a course on Frasier. <laughs> Be great. You've got 11 um, seasons. Then you could also start going back into Cheers if you wanted to. I am like you. I haven't watched much Cheers. Yeah, I haven't watched much Cheers. And actually, um, in a week or two, I have another guest uh, coming who s- were reversed. He's seen all of Cheers, only a few Frasier. So we assigned each other episodes to watch. So he gave oh, me a nice. few episodes of Cheers. And I, if you're interested, I, I'll happily send it to you. He sent me one where you meet Frasier's mom. Oh, that's right. The show has a pro. I think I've seen that one. The show has a problem because Hester is so mean on Cheers. Yeah, she's like then- a nutcase. It's like pretty <laughs> crazy. And it's like, I don't know. And I think they sort of don't really include that in uh, Frasier, the, yeah. the, the portrayal. And then she's played by uh, Rita Wilson in uh in that cabin episode um which i really like that episode but you definitely get this sense that she's this like gentle you yeah know, loving well we meet her rita wilson plays her as herself in that um the don juan in hell episode yes. too, right that's right um, yeah so there's two there's the one where fraser's dating a woman who looks just like her his mom <laughs> yep <laughs> and then we meet yeah and she's like in the pearls Oh, she's also in that really sad one where they're watching. Oh, it's the same one where they're watching the video of her and she mouths, I love you. Yeah. And then and they Martin all cry just, at like, the end. Reaches for the screen. Oh. It was very emotional. <laughs> um, on that note, uh, I want to thank you for being a guest. I feel smarter after this hour. <laughs> Tru- I'm Truly. I mean, I don't. Oh, no. I'm generally surrounded by other comics who didn't even think of going to grad school. You know, well, it was a spectacular mistake for me to go to grad school. <laughs> um, <laughs> but now, when I watch episodes of Frasier, I'm very tiresome. <laughs> there you go. Before before we go our separate ways, is there anything you would like to plug or any anything? Oh, particular? Um, I mean, I'm on Twitter, Mia Koopa, M E A K O O P A. I'm doing a right now. I'm doing a, a little mini podcast every week. I'm working on a project that has made me need to reread uh, John Milton's Paradise Lost. Ooh. So I'm doing a project where I'm reading it and then sort of doing 20 minute discussions, like a little book club. It's called The Devil's Party. Cool. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash Mia Koopa. Um, I just sort of like walk through like 300 lines a week and think about like, what's he saying? Cause it's a very difficult poem. Um, and like, what were the sort of cultural afterlives? So this week we talked about the demons in hell and like, well, this guy ends up being on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, stuff like that. So <laughs> I'll definitely check that out. Um, yeah. And yes, if you don't follow Anthony on Twitter, you should because you post some. <laughs> thank you. you. Post some and gold. thank you so much for having me. Of this course. Been, yes. I can't thank- believe it's been an hour. That's it. Like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. If you ever need me again, please. Of course. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Anthony, for being here. And until next time, good night, Seattle. Yeah, that's how I like to end it. Does it make any sense? No, it doesn't.